I don't want to be too much of a, a name dropper, but I've got a little bit of a personal connection to the artist. And so um, I was able to secure the original. So I brought it for you to show today. So. For our purposes today, this almost blank canvas is your life. This is your life. Um, probably about the age of 15 or so, uh, give or take a couple of years, you started painting on this canvas. And you will do that until the day that you die. And at your funeral, they will bring out your painting. And so you will sign it. Uh, there will be no more adding to your painting. There will be no more subtracting from your painting. It will be a completed work. And at your funeral, what they'll do is they will display your painting, your canvas, your life, and they'll talk about it. Now, if you've kind of lived a life where it hasn't really been invested in a lot of people, maybe they'll only talk about, because we only talk about the good things at funerals, right? So maybe they'll only like talk about this much of it. Maybe if you lived a life that was really invested in others, maybe you know, a little bit more like this. But either way, they're going to talk about you and say nice things about you, probably. And it will be displayed at your funeral and probably for, at most, another two generations. And then, whew, no one remembers you anymore. It's like it never existed. Should I pray? Thank you, you're dismissed. Thank you for coming to church today. Aren't you glad you came for this encouraging message? I'm going to leave this up here and I'll refer back to it later, but just have this picture in your mind of a life, a canvas, a, a painting that um, you are crafting through what you do and the decisions that you make. We're um, in this series and we're finishing up today called Angels and Demons. We've been looking at this thing called spiritual warfare. We've been talking about the role that this Holy Spirit and his angels have on our lives. We've been talking about the role that Satan and his demons have in our life. And again, that just sounds so sort of ethereal. And this passage that we've been um, concentrating on comes from Ephesians 6. I want to go ahead and read that for us one more time. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So as we talk about this concept of spiritual warfare, again, this is just not something that we can kind of relate to very easily in our modern westernized culture, but I really believe that what we're going to talk about today, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road this is uh, just the, the way that we can make this spiritual warfare idea the most practical, the most applicable to your lives. And so we're going to do that by looking at the passage earlier uh, in Ephesians. So the same writer, the Apostle Paul, writes a chapter earlier in Ephesians 5, verse 16 to 18. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to break this passage down and hopefully to some, some bite-sized chunks. 
as we go through it. Uh, the first phrase, Paul highlights a couple words. He says, be very careful how you live. That word careful can mean circumspectly. That's, you know, thinking, think of it like a radar, okay? Like you just have your radar up, okay? So you're just looking around, you have your head on a swivel. This is really important if you play professional football and you're running down the field, you wanna just be aware of dangers all around you. Um, this is the opposite of what people do when they're texting and driving or taking selfies in the car, all right? Not being careful. I try to be patient like in the grocery store, but these are the people that take up the whole lane and they're looking like for their, you know, what kind of mustard they're gonna have and they take like 15 minutes and there's like 30 people like, come on, <clears throat> right? These are like people that are not walking circumspectly, that don't have their radar up. They're not being very careful how they live. Now that word live could also be translated walk. Okay, so as we are walking through life, the Apostle Paul says we need to be very, very careful how we live, how we walk. We need to have our radars up. We need to have a, a circumspect kind of um, approach to life. And then Paul goes on to say, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So I'm gonna kind of camp in here probably for the most of this message today. And uh, in a second, Dan, I was gonna flash up a, a question, and this is an amazing question. This comes from this passage, and this question, if you ask this question of yourself, and if you not just only ask it, but you apply the principles of said question, you will save, your save yourself so much agony in life. You will save yourself a lot of money, a lot of time. This is the question that kind of answers almost every other question, and it's the reason I'm here to talk to you today. So. This is important stuff, so I'm gonna actually get out of the way. If you wanna grab your cell phone and take a snapshot of this, because this could be your, your desktop picture for the next, the rest of your life, and it will just save you lots of time. So everyone whip out your, your phone. It's just seven simple words, seven simple word question, and it's this. What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? It seems pretty simple on the outset, right? You know, what's the smart thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? It's a little bit different than what religion offers. Uh, maybe you came to church and you're like, hey, you know what, just, just give me the rules, okay? Just give me the, the five steps to Christianity. Give me the, uh, you know, the, the filthy five, the nasty nine, the dirty dozen, right? I just wanna know what to do, what not to do, and, and the New Testament really doesn't work that way. Um, Paul, in most of his epistles and his writings, would spend the whole first half of these epistles talking about your identity in Christ and who you are as a believer, and then he would just kind of give some practical, let's just call them tips of how to live. And so, so if we think about, you know, that question, what is the wise thing to do? Maybe you grew up in, in a religious background, and that was the extent of your relationship with God, it was just, if I can just do these five things, and if I keep, can keep doing these five things, then I'll have some sort of you know, God will look and give me the thumbs up. And this question is so much greater than that. It's, it, it's, it's not about right and wrong. It's not about a bunch of rules. It's saying, what is the wise thing to do? Because I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. And if you are a Christ follower, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And asking not what's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. It's the question of what is the wise thing to do? And that's a little bit, a little bit harder. Uh, what would your, look, your life look like if you had asked this question uh, in every opportunity. That phrase, you know, making the most 
of every opportunity. This is what Paul is talking about. If we make wise decisions, the likelihood of us making the most out of every opportunity is a lot more. That word, um, that phrase, making the most of every opportunity, means to get full value of. And that's what we want in life, right? We want to have a life that we're just getting the full value of, making the most of every opportunity. If we would have asked that question in life, what is the wise thing to do? Just think back to, and again, this is maybe not a pleasant thought for you all, but what is your biggest regret in life? And if you know what that is, or if you have a, you know, a whole string of them, if you would have asked that question, what's the wise thing to do beforehand? And if you would have done that, um, you might have saved yourself a lot of heartache, a lot of grief, a lot of time, a lot of money. Uh, so it's an important question. I want to give you one of my life regrets. And this is like probably a top three one. Uh, go back to the 1980s, 1983, and I was in seventh grade. And um, I had this friend who invited me to go to this concert. And I still remember my response to him when he said, hey, I've got an extra ticket. Do you want to go to this concert with me? I said, no way. Those guys suck. Okay, that was my, my you got to understand, in seventh grade, I was like a total metalhead, had big, long, flowing, blonde hair. I know, hard to believe, but that was true. And so, and I, most of my wardrobe, I'd say like 95% of my wardrobe was, was black, heavy metal concert t-shirts, and I would, you know, take off the, the sleeves on all of them, and that was just who I was. I was like hardcore metal, and if you weren't in that genre, then you sucked, okay? So before I tell you the, the band, um, yeah, my, my friend invited me to, well, I'll tell you the band. It was a band called U2. And um, I didn't understand that U2 would become U2. Okay, I had no idea. They were just in 1983. They were kind of like just a band from Ireland or somewhere like that. I, I didn't know. They didn't play hard rock, so I didn't care. I had no idea that um, U2 would be filming one of its most famous concerts in their whole repertoire. It was called Under a Bled Red Sky. And so this was live at Red Rock. So this was the most famous U2 concert probably in their history. I didn't know, had no idea that I would like U2 in a couple years from now. I had no idea that they were filming not only the most famous concert in their history, but probably in all of the Red Rocks amphitheater's history. That was probably like near the very top. So I totally Blew it. Now I'm making light of that, but seriously, that was like a top three regret of mine. To this day, I still cannot listen to that album. I really can't. It's just too painful. And it's just, I, when I see like clips of that on YouTube or if they have it on those concert, because uh, they always seem to replay that concert for some reason, it's just like I'm just being perpetually tormented by my stupid mistake. And if I would have somehow, as a seventh grader, said, what's the wise thing to do? If someone offers you a free ticket, you go, okay? You can expand your horizons. Uh, but see, most of our regrets in life are because we didn't take the time to ask what's the, not the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do. It's to ask that question, what is the wise thing to do? Making the most of every opportunity. And maybe you're saying, well, how can I make the most of, oper of every opportunity? And I think, here's just a couple things that I think will help. Uh, the first thing is that small changes over time have a cumulative effect. So here's just a couple of things to think about when we're trying to make sweeping life change, when we're trying to make the most of every opportunity in our life, is that small changes over time, small deposits over time, have a cumulative effect. Have you ever tried to cram? When I say cram, maybe you're thinking of a, you know, a test in high school or in college where you had weeks to study, but who wanted to do that, right? So it's like cram time. It's the night before, and your blood pressure's rising, and so you think, I better put on a big 
pot of coffee or have some Red Bulls and, and just get through this and you can cram and cram and cram and you try to get all the information in your head and you can kind of blurt it out on a test and that actually kind of works okay except for the, you know, the ulcers that you have all night and then being you know, wiped out for the next couple of days. But, but you can cram for a test but there's a lot of things in life that you really can't cram for. But this is how we approach a lot of things in life. Um, a lot of us approach exercise this way. Maybe you haven't exercised in like six months or years, and then you finally get up the nerve. You say, I'm, I'm going to go to the gym. You know, I'm paying like 90 bucks a month for it. I might as well go there. And so you go to the gym, and you do the, the super workout, right? The mega workout. So you do every single machine and every single free weight, and you swim laps, and you run on the treadmill, and you realize about an hour later this was a huge mistake because the, probably the next three weeks you are on the couch just like, oh, what did I do? I can't move. Everything hurts. You know, the funny thing is when you do a workout like that, no one walks up to you and says, man, you've been working out, right? <laughs> Doesn't work that way at all, right? But a lot of us approach, you know, working out that way. Maybe we need to, you know, get healthy and lose weight. But, you know, hey, eating a side salad once every week for, for lunch, that, that ain't going to do it, right? We, we know this, but we just always do this. Sometimes we, we approach our relationships this way, like in a, in a family relationship. We'll go through just a whole year of neglecting our kids or maybe neglecting our spouse and maybe not full neglect but just you know where we don't spend the time that it's required for for us to develop these meaningful and deep relationships and what do we try to do we we all right we're taking vacation right two weeks in Puerto Rico and you blow a bunch of money and we're gonna family time and cram it all in we we know this doesn't work that way but a lot of times we're guilty of doing that and a lot of times we're we approach our relationship with God in a similar way. We think, oh, you know, there was some tragedy in my life, so I'm going I'm to get serious about faith. I'm going to read the Bible like 800 pages. I'm going to start from Genesis 1, and, and you get to like Genesis and then Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all these books, and you're like, this was a horrible idea. <laughs> Forget that. So we, we can cram for a test, but we can't cram the most important things in our life, namely the relationships that we have, the things that we want most in this world, we just can't cram for it. Which kind of leads me to the second point, is that neglect over time has a cumulative effect. And I think we know this, right? If we say, you know what, I'm going to just go on autopilot, right? Because neglect is really easy. It's really easy to just do the things that are neglectful. So you think, okay, I'm gonna sleep in today, it doesn't really matter, but then you start sleeping in every day. Uh, I'm gonna skip the gym, I'm not gonna eat healthy, I'm gonna skip church, you know, one Sunday doesn't really matter, I'm not gonna join any small groups or a velocity small group, I'm not gonna read my Bible. Here's, here's what I learned in, in high school math. I learned that zero plus zero plus zero equals zero, right? If we have a whole lot of our life zeros, it just adds up to, to nothing. And Paul tells us, that the days are evil. The days are evil, and this is why we need to make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. This is the spiritual warfare that we've been talking about. And a lot of times our culture dictates how we spend our time. A lot of times our appetites, whether those are physical or mental or spiritual, what we just want to do in the moment, that dictates how we spend our time. And so if we focus always on just the now, the here and now, uh, we're going to be in trouble. We're not making any investments for, for what's up ahead. Just going with the flow, we're going to waste our time that way. Um, in the last, I think, couple of weeks or so, there was this thing that I just found out about a couple days ago. And um, I have an iPhone. How many iPhone people here? Okay, there's this thing, that, I don't know if you know this or not, but this thing that came out, and it's on the iOS, it's called uh, Screen Time. 
So I guess it's an app. It's like kind of built into the operating software of your phone, and it kind of shows you how you're spending your time. And so I'm kind of embarrassed about this, but I'm going to flash mine up there. So here's my uh, screen time for the last week. And uh, it shows that I spent three hours and 23 minutes looking at my phone, right? I was probably doing like this, you know, giving myself like cricks in the neck and things like that. So three hours and 23 minutes, this is very, very embarrassing. You guys are probably looking at your screen time to see if you did better than me or worse than me, right? Uh, maybe Androids have this too, I don't know, but uh, this, was, this was a hard pill to swallow. I, I looked at that and said, wow, um, I could not believe how much time I spent on Instagram and Facebook. Can we just cover that part, Dan? Like, Instagram and Facebook, I mean, I didn't have any like, social media contacts like a year ago, and now I'm just like, ah, cat videos. <laughs> oh, you ate that? Oh, pictures of food, how cool is that? And so I spent a lot of time doing that. And so I did some more math. I said, um, okay, if I spent, let me round down, okay? I want to round down just to three hours a day. If I spent three hours a day for the next year, that would have been 1,095 hours in a year. If I divide that by eight, so I just take like a work day, that turns out to be 134 days of work that I could have spent doing other things. Um, and I just think, man, I can't not believe how much I could probably get done in 134 days of, of work dedicated to something that's, that's productive. And so that's, a, that's an opportunity for growth for me. Uh, maybe I just need to, there's things that I know I need to do to reduce that time. So I don't waste my time. So I don't so I make the most of every opportunity, so I don't just have a whole lot of nothing. Not at the end of my life, but in the course of my life, that I don't have a whole lot of zeros and zeros and zeros that add up to, to more zeros. So that's the question I have for you. Where do you need to begin making changes, small changes in your life that will add up to a lot? Where do you need to make small deposits in your life? And it's in light of what you want most in life. It's what in light of what you, here's a way to think about it. What would you like people to say about you that would make you the most proud? And not just at your funeral, but what do you want people to say about you today that would make you the most proud? That might be an indication of the things that you want most in life. Paul goes on to say, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So hopefully if you are a Christ follower that you understand what you want most in life is to do God's will. You want him above anybody else and all things else. You want him to be pleased with you by you doing his will. That's the non-foolish thing to do. And so here's a couple indications of what that is. Um, first of all, the writer of Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, maybe you look at that word fear, and that just kind of brings up maybe some, some religious baggage that you have. But all that word means is uh, submission. Okay, it's, it's a heart that says, okay, God, you are the creator and the author of life. And you know more about life than I know about life. I'm not the expert here, so I'm going to put myself under your submission. I'm going to defer all things to you because you're the God of the universe. You made the universe. It just kind of makes sense. Um, this happened in my life kind of that I, um, a couple years ago, I, I could not figure out how to lose weight, just could not figure it out. And I toiled with it for like three years and I had to find a, a weight loss coach. And this was really hard for me because I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer and I like kind of figuring things out by myself. And so I had to go to this guy and, and I said, I, I need your help and I'm putting myself under your authority. I don't think I use those words, 
But I said, here's what I said. I said, dude, I will do whatever you tell me to do, and I won't ask any questions. Um, I will do whatever you want me to do, and even if I have a better idea of how I think that should be, I'm just like placing my life in your hands. And sometimes we need to do that not just with uh, authority figures in our life, but if we approach our relationship with God, um, that's what fear is of the Lord. That's what submission is, because we just understand that he is the expert and we're not. So how can we find out what God's will is? You know, if we want to do God's will and be in his will and have him pleased with us, how can we figure out what that is? Um, the best way, I think, is to open up the Bible. You know, you all pulled out phones and got on our Wi-Fi password. We have every, um, for those of us with smartphones, and, and uh, we have access to every translation and every language of, of the Bible known to man. We have it at our fingertips. And this is the way that God has spoken to us. This is the way that we can figure out what his will is. And Paul wrote this in Galatians 5, verse 6. He said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In other words, Paul said, here is the will of God. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's that you would, um, the only thing that counts is faith. Faith in Christ, putting your faith in Jesus, and then expressing that faith in him through love, through love towards other people. That's what God's will is. That's, and that's when we can open up the Bible and we can read this and we can understand what he wants us to do. And then back to Ephesians 5. Paul is going to give us a real, just real-life example of how this all works. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That word, uh, debauchery, doesn't that sound like a fun word? It sounds like a cool name for a heavy metal band, like when I was in the seventh grade, you know, like, sons of debauchery. You know, it's not a word that we use that often, uh, but Webster defines it like this. It's an extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures and especially sexual pleasures. You know, if you think about what Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, this is what it leads to. And if you look at the, the definition of that, as you are thinking about maybe your own regrets in life or maybe the ways that you have been most wounded in life, um, it'd be really interesting to know how much of those were caused by someone or you who engaged in bodily pleasures, right? Just their appetites, uh, especially sexual, right? Um, Paul wants us to be prevented from that, from being stupid and foolish and, and gnashing our teeth. All that means is like, oh, could I have been so stupid? God wants us to, to be spared from all that, to, to figure out what the wise thing to do is. So, and one of the wise things to do is don't get drunk on wine, okay? This isn't a, it's really wrong for you to drink wine, you bad little Christian. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's like, don't get drunk on wine. That doesn't make any sense. As you're a child of God, you don't need to be drunk on wine or any other kind of drug, okay? For some of you, drinking wine or any other alcoholic beverage, just fine. It doesn't lead to debauchery and all kind of stuff. For some of you, it definitely leads to it, and you need to get it out of your life, Simple as that, okay? So do you see how it's not just a rule? This is just like, don't be foolish. Here's an example. And instead, Paul says this. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. That word filled could mean controlled. So he's saying, don't be controlled by drugs and alcohol or whatever it is that controls you. Don't be controlled by that because that leads to dumb, foolish decisions in life. But be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled with the Spirit of God. Don't be controlled by, by other things by the Spirit of God. Um, back to this canvas again. I believe this is what spiritual warfare is about, is that Satan and his demons 
want you to have this kind of life, right? A life that doesn't really reflect a lot of investing in other people and loving other people. But if what God says is true, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, this is the kind of life that the Holy Spirit, his angels, the spiritual warfare influence that he wants to have on our life, to have a life more like this. And I hope that makes sense to you. I hope that you understand that whatever kind of canvas you have, it, it's dependent on you. You know, we kind of look at spiritual warfare as, I kind of think of it like a, like a radio, right? We have radio waves, all right? There are radio waves all over the place. There's AM stations and FM stations and, you know, hip-hop stations and rock stations and country stations and jazz stations and all that. But, we, you know, so we have um, angels stations and we have demon stations. We have Holy Spirit stations. We have uh, Satan stations. And we have the opportunity to turn our dial to whatever station we think we need to listen to. And hopefully we're turning our dial to what God wants us to do. And if we do that, we're going to have a life that looks more like that. And so I guess I just want to say again, don't trade in what you want in the moment for what you want in um, what you want in life. What you want, don't trade for what you want most for what you want in the moment. And again, what, what do you hope that people would say about you? Not just at your funeral, but like today. What do you want people to say about you that would make you the most proud? Hopefully it's because you are invested in other people. You are living the life that God called you to live, which is so outside of what we need and looking for having that walking, that circumspect life where we're looking for other people's needs above our own. And you better start today. You know, it's one thing just to, to ask that question, what's the wise thing to do, but to apply it. Uh, it's one thing to kind of know, okay, I know what the wise thing to do is, but to actually do it, that's a, that's a whole other thing. And so I just want to encourage you, don't wait till January 1st. You're going to fix everything January 1st. You're going to have a whole new life, you know, in a couple months. You just got to get through the, the holiday seasons of indulgences. No, come on, you need to start this today. Make small changes today that are going to bring about God's will for your life. And so asking the question, ask not what we should do, ask um, will we do it. And so that's the question I want to leave you with today. Will you do it? You might know some changes that you need to make in your life, but the question is, will you do it? Will you ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? Will you ask what God wants you to do for his, uh, his purposes and his will for your life? And Will you do it? Let me pray for us. God, we've gone through uh, a lot of years in our life for most of us um, painting this, this life canvas. Um, some of us have done really well trying to figure out what your, your will is for our life. Um, other of us maybe are not so proud of, of where we come so far, but uh, for all of us, God, we're asking that uh, today would be um, just a line in the sand, that we would understand that uh, your influence in our life and your will for our life is what benefits not only us, but the world that you want us to touch. And so we're asking, God, for your Holy Spirit to empower us, to impact us, to, to motivate us, to, um, to live a life that is honoring to you, that you might be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. Help us to be wise in our decisions, God, and help us have the courage to, to not only ask the question, but to, to actually act on that.
We ask that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.